Hi, this is Steve Thomas, pastor of the First Baptist Church at Delray Beach. Welcome to our podcast. We study God's Word to apply it to our lives in order to make a difference in this life and in eternity. We hope you enjoy this message. We cry out, we cry out. Need, the need for Christmas. Next week, we'll talk about the contents, what actually is in this gift of Christmas. And on Christmas morning, we'll talk about the delivery of the gift. And on Christmas Day, we'll talk about the response to the gift. So it's so important that we understand the gift of Christmas. You know, on some level, every Christmas gift needs to have some kind of function, right? I mean, some people would say, no, gifts shouldn't be something I need, right? I don't want, you know... um, you know, something like I plug in, right? I want something that I can, that's really frivolous, that's over the top, but really, I mean, everything that you get that matters to you, there's a need to it, right? I mean, even Hoffman's chocolate-covered pretzels, there's a need for those. Ooh, if you haven't had them, you should. Uh, they're local, and they're amazing. The dark chocolate ones are the best, but um, there's a need. You got to have some chocolate at Christmas, right? I mean, think about need. The greatest gifts really meet an important need in an extraordinary way, right? I mean, if your kidney stopped failing, stopped working today, and someone were to give you their kidney, that would be an extraordinary gift that meets an important need, right? But on the other hand, if you didn't know your kidneys were failing or your kidneys weren't in fact failing and someone gave you their kidney, that would be pretty weird, wouldn't it? Uh, I don't know what to do with that. I think people eat those in some places. Um, Not human ones, no. Um, There's got to be a need. And we think of the gift of Christmas. No matter how long you've been coming to church, how long you've been studying God's Word, it gets back to, did I need that? Do I still need the gift of Christmas? Of Christmas. You see, sometimes you've probably gotten a gift in the past and you go, I don't really think I needed that. Have you had that happen? I mean, no one ever needed soap on a rope, right? Now, if you're giving that out this year, take it back because no one needs that. And if you don't know what that is, I'm very grateful that you don't. We have to know the need for Jesus in order for Christmas to matter. So today we're going to look at all four Gospels and really the need that Jesus delivered this gift into, what the, what the situation was and what the need was and why it was so important that Jesus came. And we'll start in Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 through 17. And before you get concerned that we're going to be just covering an inordinate amount of Scripture, we're going to make it very easy for you. But um, I think it's important that we understand why Christmas is so important, what the Christmas gift is about, what the need is, and why all four gospel writers express a need, even though they don't all share the story of the birth of Jesus Christ. So Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 through 17, one of my favorite passages because it's who begat who. Isn't that interesting? Isn't it fascinating? Look, we're going to read. No, we're not actually. But look at all the names. It's the genealogy of Jesus. It's the Ancestry.com, if you will, of Jesus Christ. And it starts with Abraham, 
And it runs all the way through Joseph, the father of Jesus. And it's this incredible list of names that went into the genealogy of Jesus Christ. And if you're like me, you would go, why in the world did they put that in there? Why does Matthew start the story with genealogy? And I think there's a number of important reasons, one of which is he wants us to know this story doesn't begin here. The story's already in motion. The story's already going on. Let me just remind you of these 42 generations of people that have all lived already, and we've already talked about them in the Old Testament. And Jesus doesn't start a new story, he completes the old story. So important that we understand that because oftentimes we go, well, I just want to read the New Testament because it's exciting, it's fun, it's thrilling. But the, the, the New Testament, but the Old Testament is like, man, it's just, I get slogging through there and I'm like, man, I get tired. And, uh, but the Old Testament points to the new. It tells us why Jesus came and it points to the need for Jesus Christ. You see, the genealogy tells us the story is really unfinished. Because it's filled with generation after generation of people who were trying to be God's people on some level, who were mainly trying to keep law and trying to do whatever they could to follow God. But there's something that they were pointing towards, and the prophets would point to this ultimate king and how this was all going to happen. But these generations could never quite get there, and it makes us understand that the story's incomplete at this point. And Jesus comes to complete and finish the story. You know, maybe you're like us. Julie and I will sometimes be watching a movie, and it'll get kind of late, you know, like after 8 or 9 or later. But have you ever done this? You get to the, you're watching a movie, and you're like, man, I'm so sleepy. I don't know if I can watch the rest of this. And, and you're thinking... Let's see how much time it has left, and you're hoping that maybe it's just a few minutes, but it's like, I don't know, half an hour or more, and you're like, I can't make it. And she goes, I can't make it. And what do you do there, you know? Well, maybe we'll watch it tomorrow. Well, we have a better plan at our house, and you're free to take this into your own house. We just make up the end. We have a little discussion. What do you think happens? Well, probably what happens is she's about ready to get mad at him, and they'll have this big nearly breakup, but then they'll get back together, and that's how the story will end. I mean, most stories end that way anyway, right? And we'll maybe put a little more meat on those bones. But you know what? We go to bed satisfied. You don't go to bed thinking, I don't know what happened. I wonder what's going to happen. You're satisfied. We made up an ending. We think, actually, we're waiting for Hollywood to call us and say, How, could you help us write the endings to some of our movies because they're kind of getting stale. So we're ready for that, if, Hollywood, if you'd like to call us. But we need an end, don't we? We need an end to the story. You see, in this genealogy, it reminds us that Abraham was called to raise up a nation Genesis chapter 12, and you will be great, and you will be a blessing to the world. But that really hasn't come to fruition. They were a great nation briefly under David and somewhat under Solomon, but really history of God's people is not too good. I mean, one of the great things that gives a lot of validity to the Bible is they tell the truth about themselves. Unlike Harry and Megan, let's not even go there, but if you saw the don't you notice, you've seen the Harry and Meghan thing? They're perfect. Everyone else is messed up. Anyway, if you haven't seen it, no one's seen it, apparently. Don't watch it. It's not worth it. But the Bible tells the truth about its 
about its heroes. And so they were only a great nation for a short time. Now they're not a great nation at all. They're actually under the oppression of Rome. They were called away by the Babylonians, brought back, but they're still under the rule of somebody else. The great nation thing hasn't really happened, so it feels like maybe that's still out there. Maybe that's still to come. And they haven't really been a blessing to a lot of people, although there's some really cool names in this genealogy that um, most of you will pick up on. And I love how the fact, I love the fact that Rahab is in the genealogy of Jesus. Rahab, the prostitute who hid the spies, not a Jew, but she's in the genealogy. Not only Rahab, but Ruth, the outsider, the foreigner, the Moabitess, is brought in, and she is actually the great-grandmother of David. Ruth begets Obed, Obed, Jesse, Jesse, David. So there's these outsiders that are in this genealogy of Jesus. It points to the fact that there's hope for a lot of us, if not all of us. And even the wife of Uriah is in there, and she is Bathsheba, probably Someone you think of as well, she had an adulterous affair. You know, she may not have even had a choice. She could have been someone who was totally wronged. She's in there. Let me ask you, if you've had a rough life, some bad things have happened to you, maybe you've made some really bad decisions, there's people like that in the genealogy of Jesus. See, there's a, there's a blessing in that. But really, this full-blown blessing to the world has not happened yet. It says in 2 Samuel that, that, that God makes a promise to David that your son will be on the throne, will be on the throne forever. In reality, there is no person on the throne forever. The guy who's on the throne right now, Herod, we'll talk about in a minute, is only a half Jew, and he's not the line of David. Oh, so there's this sense of urgency. There's a sense of anticipation that God is about to complete the story. And that's what that genealogy is really all about. See, God's promise of a great nation ruled by a great king that would bless the world is really unfulfilled. It's a story unfinished. Let me just ask you, before we go any further, is that your story? Have you really lived your life trying to be a good person and just struggled looking after a certain king or a certain person and trying to do it all on your own? If that's you, I got really good news for you. You see, Jesus came to make you a good person. That's what Jesus came to do. In Mark and Luke, Mark will talk about first, Mark doesn't tell the story of Jesus' birth, but he does set the tone when he talks about John the Baptist in Mark chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. It says, there'll be a voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming the baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. You see, we have to be made ready. God's people have to be made ready to receive Jesus. And we talk about this a lot here. And probably for all of us, somebody made us ready ultimately to hear the word of God. Maybe children's workers. Maybe host team members, maybe creative team members, maybe missionaries in Belgium. There's somebody who helped you get 
ready for that moment when you receive Jesus Christ. And so that's John the Baptist. You see, the people have to be made ready. Even after 42 generations of God's people, they're not ready. There's a voice crying in the wilderness proclaiming a baptism of repentance. And here's what that means. It means that it's not good enough to just be one of God's people. Repentance is required. Repentance is required. Our whole life really should be a life of repentance. See, Christmas is the story of Jesus coming to earth, and it's only valuable if we see our desperate need for forgiveness. And honestly, that's been a part of my prayer this morning. Because at times we can feel like, you know what, I come to church, my goodness, I come to church a lot. And we can stake our goodness on what we've done rather than on the value that we receive through Jesus. It's only valuable, he's only valuable, if I see my need to be forgiven. Luke describes the state of God's people in great detail, and it starts in chapter 1, verse 5. And Luke says this, he says, In the days of Herod, king of Judea. And let's stop right there. So here is Israel, and it's in the days of Herod, king of Judea. He was the king of God's people at the time, and Herod was not a good guy. He was not in the line of David. He was only a half-Jew. He worked for the Romans. He was a client king, and he built a lot of incredible buildings. You can go see the ruins of which today in Israel, and they are incredible. But he built that on the backs of the Jews. But worse than that, really what Herod's job was, what he wanted to do, is he wanted to take away the distinctiveness of God's people and make them like everyone else. That's what it was all about. He wanted to consolidate the Jews into a Hellenistic state and make them Roman. That was his goal. See, the people of God lived under the rule of a king whose goal it was to make them look like everyone else. Let me ask you, does that sound familiar to you? Do you feel kind of odd as a follower of Jesus in our culture? Let me just say to you, that's probably a really good thing. Because followers of Jesus have a totally different worldview than everyone else. But the world constantly wants to make us like everyone else and get away from our distinctives as followers of Jesus. The world wants us to see ourselves as good people, not as people who need to be forgiven. But that's what Jesus came to do. He came to forgive us. You see, we need a new king. We need God himself to be king. So the angel comes to Mary. You know the story. Gabriel comes and tells her she's going to be the mother of Jesus Christ of the Son of God. I mean, it's an overwhelming thing. And uh, the angel says to her in verse 32 of chapter 1 of Luke, he says, He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the name, the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. The promise that God made to David and his people is being fulfilled in the son of Mary. We need a king. The angel promises that Mary's son will be that long-awaited 
king. And then in verse 68, Zechariah, the, the father of John the Baptist, the one that was made mute because he didn't believe, as the, uh, the angel told him, he said, Zechariah, your wife Elizabeth, who's 150 years old, well, not quite, but way old, too old to have a baby, is going to have a baby. And he says, I don't even, how could that be? I don't believe it. And he says, well, then you're not going to get to talk until the baby's born. And then when the baby's born, he talks for a long time. And it's recorded. And part of it says in verse 68, it says, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. Let me stop there. What's it like to have a visit from God? What's it like to have a visit from God when he visits? Is that a, is that a good thing or a bad thing? If you've ever been away at college, when your parents visited, was that a good thing or a bad thing? It's a good thing, right, Jill? I mean, it's good for your parents to show up, right? Um, but when God shows up in Scripture, it could be in judgment, which was a very scary thing, or it could be to bless his people. So as many times, God visited his people and he rescued them. God visited his people and there was judgment. John, um, Zechariah says, for he visited and redeemed his people. God showed up. We shouldn't feel that God is a distant God, that he just wound things up and he let it go. But no, God visited. He shows up. God visits and he redeems. This is Zachariah speaking. He says the state of God's people right now is we need to be redeemed. We need someone to pay us, to pay for us to get out of this prison we're in, to get out of this oppression. He's going to redeem us. Jesus is going to pay the price that we owe. Verse 69. And he's raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. Let me ask you, do you need to be saved? Do you need to be saved from the enemy? Is there a sense that I need God to save me or am I really able and capable enough to save myself? Zechariah saying, God's people need to be saved. Need to be saved from her enemies. And then verse 72 says, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. We need mercy. Zechariah is not saying, we're really good people. We're great people. We deserve the best. He's saying, no, we need your mercy. We need you to keep us from receiving what we deserve. That's what mercy is. You see, we got to get in this mindset that says, I needed God to visit me. I need God to redeem me. I need him to save me. I need his mercy. See, that's the posture that allows us to receive the gift of Christmas. Let me ask you, what's your spiritual state? What is your spiritual state? Do you need forgiveness? Do you need a king? Do you need God to show up to save you? Do you need mercy? It's a really good idea to know your spiritual state as you consider the gift that Jesus wants to deliver. In John chapter 1, kind of brings it all together. 
as our need for this gift. First verse says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And in verse 4 and 5, it says, to him, In him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Jesus Christ is that Word. Really important for us to understand at this point in history, there hadn't been any real communication from God that was written down for over 400 years. The last prophet was Malachi. Doesn't mean that God abandoned his people, it's that God had said everything he needed to say until he brought Jesus, his final word, into being and brought him into the world. Hadn't been a word until Jesus. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. I love that God brought us life in the place of darkness. And then in verse 16 and 17, where the Lord says, For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law has been given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Now, this is the verse that kind of explains it all for us. You see, Moses delivered the law, and the people of God in the Old Testament tried to keep the law. And sometimes we say, well, the, the law was bad. It didn't really work. And sometimes we, you know, kind of in a silly way say, well, the law didn't work, so we had to send Jesus. But no, the law set up Jesus. And the law itself was really a form of grace because it described how one could be forgiven with a sacrifice that looked forward to the ultimate sacrifice of Jesus Christ, this ultimate Payment that God would provide. So that was the first grace. And the second grace is the grace of Jesus Christ. You see, the law set a standard that only one man could keep. You see, the law describes who Jesus would be. You see, Jesus kept the law for me and for you. And then he paid the fine that I owe for not keeping the law with his very life. You see, that's what grace is. Grace is giving me what I don't deserve while keeping me from receiving what I really do deserve. See, when we recognize our need for grace, we recognize our need for Jesus. Do you need grace? Are you able to keep the law perfectly? You know, our culture's kind of created its own rules, and there's ways that we have to talk and ways that we have to think, and, and there's all these, these cultural rules that says if you're going to be a good person, if you're going to be accepted, you have to do things in this way and say things this way. There's only, well, there's a number of problems, but probably the worst problem is this, that those laws and those rules keep changing. And when you break one of those laws or one of those rules, there is no forgiveness for you. There is no grace. That's how the world functions. And it really gets to the issue of at my core being, where is, where is my core sense of self-worth? How do I feel like I'm okay? Is it because I fit into culture and everybody around me thinks I'm okay? Or is it because... God thinks I'm okay because he looks through the lens of Jesus in his blood. Am I a law keeper or am I a grace receiver? 
which would better describe you? You know, sometimes it's uncomfortable to receive a gift. Somebody ever give you a gift that you're like, man, that's over the top. And this is a bigger gift than I had anticipated. And I only spent $5 on that person. You ever do the math when you get a gift? Like, man, that's like 100 bucks, and I just got him a gift card to Starbucks. I better run to the store. Sometimes we are that way with God. God, I, I don't know if I can receive this great gift of grace. And in our pride, we say, I need to have somehow earned this, and I need to somehow pay you back, and I, I, I can't just receive this gift because it, it really is kind of humiliating. And yes, amen, it should be humiliating. Because that's really the only way we receive grace, is to admit that we absolutely must have it. Wouldn't it be great, though, <laughs> to have all of our sense of well-being wrapped up in the fact that Jesus thought us worthy to pay the price for us? Wouldn't that be better than assuming and acting like we're so perfect and so wonderful and so great that everyone should treat us well? Wouldn't it be way better to say, God, I, I'm just living in the reality that you saved me, and I'm living in that joy I'm living in that confidence that I'm good with you. And not because of me, but because of you, Jesus. Nothing can happen to take that away from me. Yes, even the failure that you'll have later today or tomorrow never takes away that grace. Are you living in that reality? See, I need the gift, I need grace. Have you received that? There's been a time in your life when you said, yes, Jesus, I, I admit that I can't earn salvation. That's my life. I can't earn it. And I need you to pay for it. See, sometimes I think people do that. They say, oh, I want to receive that grace, but then I want to earn it the rest of my life. I want, to, I want to prove that I was worthy of that grace. And we walk around pointing to all of our good deeds. And rather than saying, God, I, I just want to live in response to you. Did you need grace? Do you still need grace? I urge you today, don't miss Christmas. Don't miss the grace that Jesus Christ wants to give you. For some of you, this might be the first time that you have the opportunity to receive God's grace. Would you receive? Would you say yes to him? Jesus, I receive you. I, I want you to save me. I want to receive your grace. And for some of you, you need to say, God, I want to remember the grace I've already received. I want to remember what you've already given me. And I want to repent of my sense of, I think I'm pretty good. Would you bow with me? Thanks for joining us today. If you'd like to support this ministry, go to our website at fbcdelray.com. Also, click the share button so you can share this message with a friend or someone in need as we seek to know Jesus, to know others, and to make him known. We cry out, we cry out.